0: Hi, I'm Batsheva Frankel from Overthrowing Education, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am excited to be here with you on this wonderful Tuesday evening. That's right. It is Tuesday evening. And as you know, you know, when the stars line up and you can do a show any day of the week, we definitely try and make it happen. And today was just one of those evenings where the stars lined up and we have a wonderful, amazing guest that will be sharing some uh, just amazing work that she has been doing as far as instructional coaching and consulting. And we'll definitely talk about that as well right now but before we do that i just simply want to thank each and every single one of you for making my edtech life what it is today thank you so much for all of your support i really appreciate some of the wonderful reviews that you all have left thank you so much also for the feedback those of you that have contacted me directly and just Uh, You know, sharing some comments as far as how the shows have helped you and the things that you've learned. It really does mean a lot. So, thank you so much for that feedback. So, again, I am excited today because we have Ashley Hubner here this evening, and Ashley's going to be sharing some amazing work that she's been doing. Ashley and I first connected together through a podcast that we actually got invited to, and we just definitely made that connection and finally. Like I said, the stars aligned and we are here together this evening. So Ashley, thank you so much for being here tonight. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing wonderful and like excited to talk to you because I know that you've been busy this last week, uh, you know, attending conferences, mm-hmm. getting to see some amazing educators face to face in real life. And also you've got some a great a book that has already been out and I'm really excited for you to share all about that. So Ashley, let's go ahead and jump right in. So for our audience members that are joining us right now live or will be catching the replay or listening to the podcast, can you give us a brief introduction and your context in education?
1: Yeah, so um, my name is Ashley Hubner and I am an instructional coach and curriculum specialist. Um, I worked in the public school system for 14 years in the state of Texas and my family transitioned to Florida. Um, And when I came here, I decided to start my own practice um, through consulting and working with uh, teachers virtually, doing some virtual instructional coaching, doing a virtual PD for different school districts, um, and then working with some curriculum companies to create content that is good for kids. So that's kind of what I've been doing lately
0: excellent well i'm sure that that definitely keeps you very busy but before we go on with you know everything that you've been doing you know as you know here every guest i always see as somewhat of a superhero people that i follow that i learn from and that i see that are doing some amazing things and i always love to hear their origin story so if you don't mind ashley i would love to know was education something that you always knew that you would be going into Or was this something that kind of came up later, you know, maybe a transition from a career into education? So if you can share a little bit about your your start in education.
1: So I think I I knew at a really young age that I wanted to be a teacher. I think I made the decision in like third or fourth grade and just knew that that was going to be what I was going to do the rest of my life. As I got older into high school, I started like thinking maybe I wanted to do some other things because, of course, I have other interests and hobbies. Um, but I always settled back on education. Um, I do come a fa- from a family of educators—not my immediate family, but my extended family. My aunts, my grandma—they um, all were in education in some realm. And actually, my aunt and uncle are still in education here in Florida uh, at a, a local school in Sarasota. And so it just—I just felt like it was in my blood. Um, I've always been great with kids. I love working with kids. I love seeing them learn and grow. And so, yeah, I I went to school to be a teacher. And then as a brand new baby teacher, I had one principal that gave me a chance that year as a first year principal. And under him, I learned and grew so much as an educator Um, and gave me opportunities to, you know, work on curriculum teams and lead professional development and just grow as a leader. And through that is where I found my love for instructional coaching and curriculum work.
0: Wow, that is wonderful. So it's always great. And like I said, I always love to hear the origin story. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people never plan to go into education, but then it was because of that one teacher. And a lot of times it's because of family and then you just kind of found your way. But I, I'm always surprised too by a lot of guests like such as yourself that you mentioned, you know, third, fourth grade, you already knew that this is what it is that you wanted to do and that you wanted to be. And now, you know, like I said, through the opportunity of one principal, you're able to continue to grow. And now, you know, growing into what you are doing today, as far as you know, getting that experience with instructional coaching writing curriculum. And then, of course, we'll talk about your new book that is out as well. But I want to talk to you just a little bit about that, you know, first year experience. And just because, you know, there are a lot of first year teachers. And I know for a lot of us that started, you know, many years ago, you know, just that being that first year teacher Uh, can sometimes be very ominous and can be very overwhelming because sometimes we don't expect certain things and so on. But if you don't mind maybe just sharing some things or just some pieces of advice, maybe for our first-year teachers that are already well into what they kind of call the dark October. you know, that dark uh, October as we're kind of winding down and, uh, you know, so what are some things that you might recommend for some of our teachers to, you know, continue Uh, going strong in what it is that they're doing.
1: So I will say I kind of went through that as a first year teacher. I was working like great every night. Like I was and I was, you know, single and young. So I didn't have, you know, kids to take care of or a husband to tend to. And I've had the time, you know, to do that. But it got to a point where it was exhausting. And I remember it was probably around that Christmas time or maybe even January after coming back from Christmas that. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. This is why am I working myself this hard? And so I'll tell you, initially, I, I am kind of a shy person until I get to know people. So it took me a little bit to kind of get to know the people on my campus. But at that point, I decided I need help. And this is one of the reasons I went into instructional coaching. And I reached out to my mentor teacher, who is one of my dear best friends now. Um, her name is Gabby Brown. And um, I reached out to her and I said, I need help how can you help me? How I need to figure out how to make this work. And we started working together and planning together and, you know, dividing and conquering the the lesson planning part. And I just leaned on her for advice and learning. And through that, I created a better routine for myself and built in more capacity for myself so that I wasn't staying up late every single night trying to figure out how am I going to teach these kids the next day. But the first year is hard when, you know, we go to college and And they teach us all the things, but you haven't actually done it on your own. And so that first year is is hard trying to navigate that. And so I just like to remind teachers to give yourself grace. Um, It's okay to not be perfect. Um, You just keep on trying and it's progress over perfection. And it's a learning process. And at the end of the year, you're going to know so much more than you did at the beginning of the year. And you're already going to be thinking about all the things you want to change for next year. And that's just part of the process.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for that. Just wonderful advice, because I I really wish that I would have known that when I first started as well as, you know, for myself, it was just a quick transition from one career to the next. Um, They they needed a math teacher and they're like, here you go. And and things that you do learn though, and and you kind of start seeing other people kind of help you, but that's just definitely some solid, wonderful advice. So Ashley, let's talk now, you know, being, you know, after your first year, you're starting to work, you know, building capacity, like you said, you have a principal that was very supportive, admin that were supportive, you're part of curriculum teams, and then talking about instructional coaching. So talk to me about the instructional coaching component. How did that come about as far as your transition from classroom to instructional coaching?
1: So first I decided to go back and get my master's in curriculum instruction in mathematics. And so I did that. And After completing that, we had a position that opened up on our campus that was a title uh, one position. That was for providing intervention for students in Tier 2 and Tier 3 in the area of math. And so they hired me for that position. So I got to stay on my own campus. Um, and while working in that position, I started to really work with teachers. So it ended up going back to what is that Tier 1 instruction? What is happening in the classroom during Tier 1 that is affecting some of these kids who are coming into Tier 2? Um, because we were finding... You know, some kids in tier two just have these few little gaps that when they got with me, it was easy, it was fixed, and we can move them right back into tier one. So then we started really analyzing that tier one instruction. And as we got new teachers to um, the campus or, you know, there was a couple of brand new teachers fresh out of college, the administration started leaning on me to help and support them. And so that's how the instructional coaching started to come about. It wasn't an actual instructional coaching position, but I had the opportunity to work in that capacity with teachers.
0: You know, and and the thing that you talked about that I really absolutely love has been a conversation for myself for about two years now with one of our content specialists who is actually a math content specialist. And we're talking about tier one support, tier two, talking about MTSS and so on. And, you know, it's very important, you know, when you do have a lot of students in tier two, it doesn't necessarily mean that you may have a tier two problem, but it could be some tier two one things that we can tweak, which is that initial teach, that initial instruction, kind of changing things up. So what are some ways, and and I know you said you were working with mathematics, but were there certain things that you saw that maybe could, slight little tweaks for that tier one approach to kind of help some of those students? Was it mainly a lot of misconceptions maybe? Was it vocabulary based? What are some of the things that you saw through your experience?
1: I think it was, um, the elimination of using scaffolds. So there was a lot of opportunities that I think that if we had put in place the correct scaffolds for these kids, they would have been able to have access to the curriculum and move at the grade level pace. But, you know, kids who needed manipulatives weren't getting manipulatives or the visuals or the extra vocabulary instruction for the preteach. And so looking at some different strategies that we could use in the classroom to support those kids so that they could have access to the grade level content and still learn and progress, even though they might have a few gaps here or there.
0: Yeah. And that's great. I love that you said that because those are some of the things too. And and it's great to see that, uh, well, at least understanding that what we're seeing too was something that you saw as well. And really uh, one of the, our biggest targets has been in the last two years is the use of either virtual manipulatives also and or hands-on uh, manipulatives. We're big proponents of the Concrete, pictorial, abstract. So, being able to see it in multiple modalities, not just the standard algorithm, is something that has really made a change for our students, and that's something that's so important. And like you said, you know, it, it, the role of the instructional coach, being able to catch those things, and so on that side, what were some of your approaches, you know, to be able to, you know, bring some additional support and additional PD to some of your teachers, you know, because sometimes, you know, there may be some instructional coaches out there. Maybe this is going to be their first year. They're kind of like, you know, where do I start? What are some of the best ways to reach out and communicate to your teachers effectively on certain tweaks and changes that may need to occur? As we know, maybe teachers were we're we're like, no, no, this is the way I've always done it. What are some of the things that you have learned in your experience?
1: So in that situation, I actually had the opportunity that I already had relationships built. So I think that's the first place you have to start. Um, but I did have relationships built. I had um, trust for my teachers. They They valued my expertise in mathematics. So Although I wasn't told to coach them, it was something I kind of just started to kind of push in and do on my own. So I would go into their planning and I would listen to them lesson plan and then I would offer ideas and suggestions. Um, The other thing I would do to follow up on that is then bring them the resources. So if I'm saying, hey, we could provide a scaffold like this, this, or this to teach this standard to kids who may be struggling, let me get some resources for you so that you can do that. Because if you're going to offer an idea, then you need to have something to back it up and give it to them because then you're asking them in their mind to do one more thing if you're not giving them the supports with the suggestion. And so that was something I kind of started doing. It also got to the point where we had, so it was right after the math standards changed in the state of Texas, and we had a lot of parents who didn't understand the new way. As they said, we were teaching math. And so one of the tasks that my principal gave me was to create some model lessons for some of these standards. And I video recorded myself teaching it and what it would look like me teaching it in a classroom. And we posted this to our website for parents to see this. But while I was doing that, teachers were also seeing it. So they were also learning the ways that we're going to teach these new standards. And this is what it looks like by watching my videos and sharing those with their parents because their parents were coming and asking them questions and giving them pushback. On this new way, (laughs) we were DJing math, and so then they could say, "Well, here's how you're supposed to teach it," and there was my video. And so that was another way to show them, um, just help them with instruction in the classroom.
0: You know, I really love that that you mentioned it. You know, including the parents in this because, uh, like you said, it's very important for them for you as a teacher to communicate with them and. If the parents are seeing, you know, different types of math worksheets or they're trying to say, no, no, this is the easy way to do it. And maybe they they learned it, the standard algorithm and no, just do it like this. But that's not the way that it may be tested on the state exam. You know, you have to do something different. You may have to build a manipulative or anything of that sort. I love that idea, Ashley, that you were able to model those lessons, videotape them um, and then put them out there for the parents. And then they served as a wonderful resource. For teachers as well, as we all know, you know, with your teaching, things kind of change and it's a way for us, even as teachers, to continually sharpen our skills to see the way that maybe this new way of teaching or the, you know, just the new, I guess the way we called it, the new math is being done. And I love it. You know, I I think one of the things too, we do have this uh, math teacher, what they started doing is very similar to what you were doing, but they were creating Edpuzzle. Uh, Mm -hmm. videos for their students as well so that way they can go through the process step by step but I think you know doing what you did and communicating to the parents something that's definitely very effective so definitely make a note of that for sure All right. So now let's talk a little bit more as your role continued to grow. Is this something that where you just stayed as an instructional coach within that school or was it something that you later kind of grew into at the district level? Um, You know, how was that transition if that did take place?
1: Yeah. So we ended up moving to another district after that year, which I I felt really bad leaving my campus, but it was just best for my family at that time. Um, I got married and we were ready to start having children. And we were trying to figure out like, what is our home going to be um, for our kids? And so we moved to another school district and they happened to have instructional coaches in their district and they had openings. They did not um, have any teacher openings at the time when I applied. So I applied from the instructional coaching position and I happened to get it. And I was at the same campus for seven years as an instructional coach.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. And so, what was that transition like now? Just not working with you know your the one school, but now working with several campuses because and the reason I asked that is just because you know we we have instructional coaches that work for all campuses. I mean, we're a small school district, but I think for them, it was kind of just a little bit of a shock, you know, at first going from you know teaching in the classroom and then just working with their campus. And now that transition to the role where now you're working with multiple schools and maybe multiple teachers, what were some of the, uh, you know, lessons learned uh, from that experience?
1: So I did work with the same school for seven years, um, but it was all grade levels, K through six, all content areas. (laughs) So I wasn't coaching just math anymore. I was coaching everything. Um, But the last three years I was with the district, they also opened up uh, a position as a social studies um, curriculum. Head. And so I did do that too, and in the capacity of that, I was serving all K through six social studies teachers within the district and also still coaching my teachers at my campus. So um, at first, it was a little bit harder because I was walking into a new campus and I didn't have relationships. so that was one of the places that I had to start. Um, I talk about this a little bit in my book, but I, I kind of had to prove myself to people to let them know that, you know one, you can trust me. Two, I do have some expertise and background. Um, and and three, you can rely on me. Um, um, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm here to support you. And so the first month or so was really just about building those relationships and showing people that um, they could trust in me and that, you know, what I said I was going to do, I was going to do.
0: Wow, that's great! And I I want to talk a little bit about that because you said that you do talk about this in your book, and I know that I really was really excited about this because I know that your book just came out recently. So before we jump into that part of the book, I just want to know where that I guess the the inspiration to you know put this in writing and put your experiences in writing, best practices. Where did that all come from?
1: So it really came. From one, transitioning from Texas to Florida when I moved um, and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life now. Um, But also, I just really started thinking about all the instructional coaches who had come into that role within the district after me. And when I first started in that role, there wasn't a lot of role clarity. Nobody really knew what my job was. They just said, kind of, go coach and you'll figure it out. Over the years, we worked as a system to create role clarity, to create guidelines, to create expectations about what a coach's role was, um, what their job looked like, what are they responsible for and not responsible for, because there were instances where, you know, teachers were asking us to do things that really weren't in our job capacity. But, you know, sometimes we were just doing it to be nice or to get it done. And so really looking at that. And so I decided to write a book. About my journey as an instructional coach and all the things I learned along the way. So, I start at the very beginning about the relationships piece and building the relationships and kind of walk through the whole, um, all of the aspects that an instructional coach may have as responsibilities, such as leading PLCs. How did I structure that? What did I learn along the way? Um, leading professional development, how to differentiate coaching for my teachers based on who they are and their learning styles. And so, I share. All of those things I learned, plus resources, free resources in my book for anybody who's an instructional coach to download and use. But it really just is my journey and what I learned and hoping that if I share this with someone else who's a new instructional coach, or maybe they've been doing it for a couple of years and they still don't know what they're supposed to be doing. It gives them, you know, someone that they can relate to and feel community with and say, okay, she gets it, she understands it. And I love these ideas and I'm going to take them and run with them. So it's really just as a resource.
0: That's wonderful, you know, the fact that you're sharing this because I know for our district, we we just added these roles as far as instructional coaches, and we have some for math, we have some for, of course, ELAR, for science. And so, you know, sometimes their role was like, well what is it that we're going to be doing so we just had to make sure that they their their content specialists work very well with them and coach them up and you know what i what i love is that this now second year that they're you know working in this position uh the growth that they have made but honestly like amanda says right here thank you amanda for joining us in her comments says, as coaches we are in the relationship business and i think that that's definitely something very important building up that trust because sometimes they see somebody come in into the classroom that's central office and they're like, oh, no, they're going to go and tell on them that I'm doing this or doing that. But in reality, you know, the roles that I, the the way that the ladies and gentlemen that have come into these roles, they've done such a phenomenal job in building these relationships. And, you know, it's great that you're sharing that. And I'm definitely going to, you know, share your website with them, too, as well, so they can continue to learn and sharpen their skills as well, so now you know. Tell us, uh, Ashley, what is the the title of the book that you have available?
1: Well, I think you have it right there on the. No, it's all on the screen. Okay, it's called Foundations of Instructional Coaching. Um, impact people, improve instruction, and increase success. So that's those are my little models, mottos right there that I like to say and follow. Um, also, that's kind of how I built my systems as a coach. Is that I feel like you have to impact people first. To improve instruction. And then once you improve the instruction, then you can increase the success um, not just of the students, but also the success that the teacher feels in the classroom. And so um, but yes, that is that is my book. That's what it's called. You can get it on um Amazon or my website, it's also on Kindle.
0: I love it. And you know, I love the title of it when I first saw this because I, you know, impact people, improve instruction, increase success. And I think that those are just very, just wonderful points for somebody in your role as an instructional coach to be able to do, because the level of impact and how you can impact a, a a teacher in such a positive way to, you know, show them that I'm here to help. And then they improve their practice, they sharpen their skills. And then that in turn, you know, also affects the kids in such a positive way. I think that's wonderful. And then, of course, improving the instruction there and then increasing success, because obviously that's what we want. We want all students to succeed. So I love that. And so again, Ashley, you know, it's wonderful that you have all of these resources. And then of course on your website too, as well, I do see that you have a lot more instructional uh, resources that can be downloadable. Uh, tell us a little bit about the resources that would be, that we would be able to find on your website too, as well.
1: Um, There are a lot of uh, resources on there. Anything that, um, I've seen talking to coaches as something they needed a resource for. I've pretty much popped it on there. I have, um, co- like how to start your first coach conversation, how to track your coaching, um, data. I have some digital forms. Um, one of the things that I've used a lot is data tracking in the classroom. So just quick little data walks that you could do to get some co- global ballistic data, um, within a grade level or a campus and isolate some of those needs, um. There, I mean, there's a there's a ton of stuff on there, just things that I've created over time and, and put on there for people to use or take as they need. And as I have conversations with people, I'm, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups with instructional coaches and I see a need for something else. If I know that I have that, then I put it on my website and share that one out, too. So they're free to anybody um, who wants to go to the website and you just sit, fill out a little sender uh, form to download all the information and then you have it at your fingertips.
0: Perfect. Now I want to talk a little bit about something that you mentioned there as far as data tracking. And you know, as as your role, you know, and your experience, yeah, you, I don't see that happening, at least maybe because the position is fairly new, you know, in our district and so on. So I know that they do visit, you know, they, there's certain requests that get put in, you know, can you help and assist and so on? But for yourself, it through your practice, you know, or maybe just sharing some best practices what would be a, a great way for you to, or something to look out for when you are documenting? What should be some of the things that you write down as an instructional coach and uh, you know, maybe possibly to help follow up? What are some things that you kept while you were instructional coaching?
1: I think it depends on the purpose of the data that you're tracking. So one, if you're trying to figure out what you need to work on i would just do a more broad data tracking sheet which i do have on my website it is part of my access framework um, for instruction in the classroom and it breaks it down into three areas looking at classroom environment student voice and then instructional practices so if you're trying to kind of figure out like where to start that's a good sheet to then collect some data to see what you're what you're seeing in the classroom and maybe what's missing um, if you know the campus goal, I always try to, you know, sit down with my, my administration and my leadership and say, okay, what is our goal? What is our, where are we progress monitoring? What is our growth, growth plan, say, for a campus? And for us, for several years, it was literacy and it was the lower grade levels. So I created some data tracking forms that really just honed in on the literacy components within the classroom that we wanted to see um, and the modes that they may be in. So even looking like assessments, are we doing open-ended assessments? Are we doing worksheets? Are we doing, you know, reader's response? What does that look like? And so we created as a leadership team some specific things that we wanted to narrow down and look at. And then a couple of times a week, I would go through rooms and I would collect the data. And now I have a digital form that you can use that for. It's on my website. At the time, I used paper. And so I would go in with these little sheets that I had created and printed out. I would go in and I would check more of all the things. And then I had put dry erase board, like laminate um, posters on my wall that then had all of those sections on there. And I would go back to my room and I would tally up all the things I would see. And then when we met in PLCs, I could get each grade level some global data. Like 80% of the time when I was in the classrooms, I visited 20 classrooms this week. I saw this, this, and this. Only 15% of the time when I visited 20 classrooms did I see this. So what should, our, what, what should we work towards next? What should we be working for as a campus? And so that was really good at having grade level conversations, vertical conversations, um, but also celebrating the growth. When we first started this, classroom environment was one of those. And we had some deficits in that classroom environment area. And so that was our first goal quickly we saw um, growth in that. And so we were celebrating that growth and then saying, okay, what's the next thing on our list that we're going to work on? And so it was an ongoing process to kind of look and analyze that. And then checking student data to see, is the student data increasing? Does it match what we're looking for in the classrooms and the things that we're doing and changing? And through those conversations, it wasn't me telling them, these are the things you need to do based on what I saw. It was, here's the data. What do y'all think we can do? And we came up together as like a PLC discussing, okay, what could we do to change this? And the team created that, those items and those plans and implemented them back in the classroom. It wasn't me saying, okay, I saw this and this is what you need to do to fix it. So it, it worked really well. And it was, it was a good way to grow as a campus.
0: You know, and I love everything that you said. And I just wanted you to elaborate a little bit, just at least for myself and for anybody else that may be listening, but just the the power of the PLC, you know. So when you did your PLCs, you did it at that at that campus level. Uh, I just, out of curiosity, you know, who were the, the people that were at the table during these conversations? Was it, you know, just administration from that campus or was it, you know, all teachers as well? You know, because I, I want to know who it was that would at the end, you know, start making those decisions for, you know, the, the growth and what's next and so on? Cause I'm curious about that.
1: So it's a good question. So at the campus level, it was me and the grade level team and our administrators, um, either our principal or assistant principal or both. So we would all go through that data and talk together as a team and plan those things. Um, sometimes when principals were out, you know, dealing with parents or chasing kids around the campus, then it was just me. But I was the solid component. In, in those PLCs that you know monitored those and had those conversations. We did start to, towards the last couple of years I was in the district, do district level PLCs when virtual became um, a way for us to meet together. And we started doing grade level P- PLCs across the district by content um, areas so like the whole second grade ELAR representative from each campus could come to a PLC. But these were more about pre-planning for upcoming units. And so they would say, okay, Unit 3 is coming up. Here are some misconceptions kids are going to have. Here are your resources. Um, People share out ideas about ways you've taught this before, things that have worked for you. So that brought the district together and kind of brought some alignment between the campuses when they had those PLCs.
0: Excellent. And I had a question here from Amanda who says, uh, did you all pull out time during the workday or was the PLC outside the workday?
1: We did the PLC within a planning period, so I different times throughout my time with the district. Sometimes we met at weekly, and then sometimes we met biweekly. Um, when we did vertical PLCs, those were after school, and those were usually once a month. And I would always have something planned for each vertical team, and we had like one representative per content area. So I would have an ELAR person that represented Kinder, first, second get together and then usually a chunked third fourth and fifth uh and sixth together or however depending on what the purpose was but we would have like a vertical alignment of a, a rla plc a math plc a science social studies plc and divide it up that way
0: Wow, that's wonderful. That's great. Now, I, and the only reason I ask that is because I know PLCs is something that we're really focusing on this year within our district. So some of the things that, you know, our, our district has done is, of course, with the math content specialists, what they do is they'll do like what they call curriculum previews. And what that means is they'll meet, you know, once every other week and say, okay, guys, for the next, you know, 15 days, this is what's coming. If you have any questions and these are the items, you know, that we see, you know, we use documents from like lead forward stating, OK, which ones are our are areas of weakness, what we need to do and then provide those supports. So that's something that has been very useful, um, you know, and of course, they're recorded. So if for some reason somebody can't make it or an admin says, hey, you know what, I, I want to know and I want to keep in you know, in the and be kept in the loop of things, are able to get access to all of that. So, you know, I, I'm always looking for ideas that I can bring and share to the table. And everything that you've been sharing today, I'm like, wow! Like, I, I need to share these resources with our district at the district level so they can see, you know, and get some ideas as far as how to really build those PLCs and get that collaboration going. Like you said, you know, not only at the campus base, but I love that you, also the vertically as well and aligning our curriculum vertically because that's something. That's very important, as oftentimes, you know, we've seen where teachers are teaching something, you know, specific standard that really isn't for like, let's say, fourth grade, that'll come back in fifth grade. And so sometimes for them, it's a little hard to kind of like, you know, like this is where your lane is, you know, we'll worry about that in fifth grade. But then you've got those fifth grade teachers that are like, no, 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 it's okay. You need to be teaching that in fourth grade. So that way they come ready. So, you know, it's just those things that we're trying to work with. But Again, our the role is fairly new within our district, but we are definitely seeing some great benefits from it, and just the the amount of work that they go uh, that they do to help you know our students and most importantly, help the teachers has been great. So everything that you're sharing today for me is gold, and I'm going to share the episode with them too, as well, and check this out because what you've shared today is just something that is for myself. Uh, a great learning experience for myself. So um, thank you so much for everything that you shared today. So I'm really excited about that. And so let's talk a little bit real quick, because I know you were at a couple of conferences and I was like, wow, like, you know, you're out there now, you know, seeing people in real life and presenting and doing all those things. So I know this last week you were at TCEA and that you were at the Teach Better conference. So tell me a little bit about how that went. Let's start with the TCEA first. Did you have any presentations uh, that you shared?
1: Yes, I did three. Um, and one of them, actually, I need, they want me to re-record because we had some technical difficulties. Um, it was, I had a live audience and a Zoom audience, um, but they could not get my slides to work. And so everybody just logged onto my sli- slides. I shared the uh, the Bitly to them and I just kind of voiced over them as we went through it. But, um, and so I'm going to rerecord that and they're going to post it somewhere. But that session was about just differentiating coaching. Um I'm a big proponent of just like we differentiate for kids I think teachers need differentiation and so knowing who your teachers are and how to figure out who they are um what's their ability level what is their capacity as a teacher and what's their mentality um when you go into these co- coaching conversations or working with the teacher so that was one of the sessions another session I did was about a coaching framework so building kind of that role clarity And what does your job look like to you within your school district or your campus? And creating a plan for yourself if you don't have one already, what is your calendar going to look like? What are your, you know, top priorities as a coach? And so took some coaches through that journey. And then the last one I did was coaching equity in the classroom, which I really enjoyed. And I have to get a shout out to my really good friend, Bill Pratt. Um, he is in South Carolina. I think now he did move, but he was an instructional coach who uh, felt very passionate about this. And he came to me and said, I want to build a session like people need to hear this. And so we worked together to create a session to walk coaches through um, one, just looking at our influences and our biases and, and analyzing that. But then What are some tools we could use to audit our curriculum, to look at the classroom environment and instructional tools that are being used in the classroom? And are we creating equity for kids in the classroom? And so that was one of the sessions that I presented. Wow. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, no. I was going to say that's wonderful. I definitely want to catch that session for sure. So I'll definitely need to somehow either go to TCA and Find that or whenever you do another presentation or anything, please let me know or let us know because that'd definitely be a great topic for sure.
1: Yeah, it was it was a really good conversation. And this was something we started over a year ago. We did it virtually in three different sessions, and anybody could join and we recorded them. And I have them on I had saw on my website. I have a courses page and I have the coaching equity one. It's for free. Anybody can log in. It's in Thinkific, but it has pretty much all the same resources plus all the video recordings from the live podcast. I just took that kind of summarized it into a shorter, like one hour session, but all of those resources are there for anybody who wants to look into that. Um,
0: and then that right now, that's awesome. I'm, I'm already looking at that. And I I went ahead and shared the direct link there in the chat. So at least it'll be there. So if Amanda wants to check that out, she can. But again, all of this will be posted on the podcast episode page for sure. Oh, yeah. So continue, Ashley, because I'm sorry about that. I just you're fine. this is great.
1: Um, So I was going to say it teach better when I went to teach better in Ohio. First of all, what an amazing experience to meet so many people in person that I've only known virtually all my, not like as long as I've known them. And to, so to see them in person and, and give them a hug and connect was just amazing. So if you can go next year, your bonds, you really need to go. It's, it's so fun. Uh, but I presented the coaching framework, the same session I did at TCEA, but I changed the audience. So I was pre- presenting more to administrators and how do you build co- coaching capacity within your district, whether you have instructional coaches as a position or not. And so we talked about what could that look like on the teacher leader position um, as a mentor and how do you build in coaching that way as an assistant principal or a principal? What does coaching look like for you and how do you build that in so that it's not evaluative? And so just talking through those conversations and thinking about, okay, who do you have on your campus that can coach and what is that role going to look like? And then how do you plan that out through the school year? When are these opportunities going to happen? And and creating some role clarity for that. Because I do believe anybody can provide instructional coaching, just like I did as an interventionist beginning in math. I was kind of a teacher leader that was doing some unintentional coaching. So I think if we set our mentor teachers up in the right atmosphere with the right newbies that they're going to be working with, like what is coaching look like from them? Um, We often have team leads or department heads what does coaching look like coming from those people? So there are a lot of districts out there that don't have instructional coaching. So how do you build this in to the system you already have? And so that was a a little bit of a deviation than what I presented at TCEA.
0: No, but it sounds great because like you mentioned earlier, that is part of the instructional coaching, knowing your audience and knowing who it is that you're speaking to. So that just, again, really ties into your experience as an instructional coach. And of course, I'm definitely sure you brought a lot of knowledge, uh, knowledge nuggets for them as well as, like I said, I'm getting really excited about that because it makes me also think about the positions that we currently have in our district and what are some like slight little tweaks you know that we from based on what you're sharing that can be sprinkled on to our practice to make it even better and being more effective and maybe even more efficient and you know and so you're just definitely giving me a you know a lot of ideas so i'm really excited to share all of these resources like i mentioned before with our district so uh, you know, and I did see your picture. I think you were with Dan Krynas also as well. I think uh, he was doing a podcast row. so that was great. I mean, I saw a lot of amazing educators there. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I'm definitely going to have to invest in myself for next year and definitely make it uh, a point to make it out to that conference because I saw everybody having a great time and just some amazing education leaders that were there too as well sharing.
1: Mm-hmm. It was it was great, honestly. I've been to tons of conferences as an instructional coach. um, I told some people there, I was like, they they send us all the time to conferences to be like the trainer of trainers. You go and learn this information and then you come back and train our staff, or you're going to be the keeper of the knowledge and then you're going to sprinkle it to everybody else, you know, throughout the rest of the year. And this was the first time I got to go to a conference where there was no expectation of me to bring something back. I was just going to soak it all in and enjoy it. And it was the best learning experience ever. There was not one speaker or one session that I sat in that I was like, why am I here? Like everyone was so impactful, so motivating and just seeing there. I just learned so much. So it was probably hands down the best conference I've ever been to.
0: Awesome. So shout out to Teach Better. Thank you guys for the amazing work that you're doing. Well, Ashley, it, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for stopping by and being part of my the Maya Tech Life podcast and just sharing just the amazing work that you're doing. And like I said, I'm definitely excited because this was like my one hour PD session that I get to share now with my district. But obviously our viewers and listeners will definitely, they're going to gain so much from what you shared. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you do and everything that you continue to do. And I'm just really excited to continue to hear of your wonderful success as you're out there making a difference and, you know, just bringing some more knowledge and equipping our educators, you know, to continue to grow within this role or for the new, uh, you know, instructional coaches that may be out there that there is a wonderful resource in you that they can reach out to and learn from. And learn from your experiences as well. So that's wonderful. So thank you so much. But before we go, I always love to end the show with these three questions for our guests. So here we go. Ashley, question number one for you. In the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Oh, and can you remind me what the edgy kryptonite was? Oh, the edge of kryptonite is what you see right now that is definitely just making you weak. You know, like that's what kryptonite did to Superman. Just yeah. Really. So, what is it right now that you may be either seeing or hearing that just really has you like, oh, uh, like?
1: I think it's just the burnout that I keep hearing from people, and that um, I know that this is a season for many. That, are, that is still difficult and hard. Um, and I say season because my hope is that it's not always like that for those people. Um, I also do a lot of talk with Kelly Connor's Cycle of Change, and I coach coaches on understanding that cycle so they can support teachers. But I think that's where, as coaches, we need to come in and support those teachers and help them. So right now, I think that's kind of what my edu kryptonite would be.
0: All right, good answer. All right, question number two: If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be, and why?
1: So I have a favorite quote that I try to stand by, uh, and it makes me gives me like a sight or a goal of who I want to be inside. And so it says, "In a crowd of roses, choose to be a sunflower, thornless and abundant in seed seeds." And that's what I would have on a billboard. And it's also my quote on my Facebook page, because it reminds me to be thornless. Like, I need to be nice. I'm not going to be the one shooting the daggers at you. Um, But being abundant in seeds is, you know, that's what we do as instructional coaches. We're spreading seeds all day long. Every person we talk to, interact with, every facial expression in the hallway can be a seed. And so I just think that that is good for us to remember.
0: I love that, and you're absolutely right. You know, every day as you go out there, you are sharing that seed and just like just that knowledge. So that is such a wonderful quote. I really love that. All right, and the last question for you is: if this was your podcast and I was a guest on your show, what would be one question you'd like to ask me?
1: So I would like to ask you: Who is your green dot? And what I mean by that is, um, at Teach Better, we talked about. Um, having a focus, like almost like a laser focus, like you think of a red laser beam, but thinking of a green laser beam and looking to the person that inspires you the most as your green dot that pushes you to be the best educator that you can be. So who would be your green dot?
0: My green dots? You know, lately because of... How I've gotten to know them and just the writing and the work that they're doing, I'd say like my green dot right now would be um, that I'm kind of like laser focused on is probably George Valenzuela, like the work that he's doing, you know, in in his area. Like, I'm just like really blown away by what he does. And and again, hearing so many great presenters doing all the great work that they do, you know, I guess just because of of the realm that he's in doing, you know, STEM and PBL, but also talking about, you know, similar ways of, you know, kind of coaching up teachers and leaders, it, it just kind of brings that package together. So that would I would say would probably be my green dot, you know, because uh, he's definitely just great at his craft and what he does and much like you, he has a personality where he definitely shares the seeds with everybody and he he's just great. So yeah, that would be my green dot. So that's a great question. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right. Well, Ashley, again, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you here. And I'm really excited, like as always, for your work and what you continue to do. And as you know, every guest on My EdTech Life always has an open invite. So anytime you'd love to come back, maybe for your next book or any other projects that you may be working on, you definitely have an open seat available to you. So thank you for sharing your knowledge today, sharing your experiences. And like I said, I'm definitely gleaning a lot from them. And I know that our audience members will too as well. So thank you so much. And for everybody that joined us today, Amanda, thank you so much for your questions and your comments uh, this evening. And for those of you, that are going to be catching uh, the episode later on or catching the podcast. Thank you, as always, from the bottom of my heart for making my EdTech life what it is today. Please make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life. Myedtech.life. Make sure that you drop by, give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can stop by our merch store as well, as we've got some great, uh, you know, conference wear. You know, hoodie season is already here so get yourself a wonderful hoodie or a cap Uh, and of course all of that goes to contribute to our mission our vision and our passion of doing this doing what we love which is connecting educators education professionals creators one show at a time please make sure that you give us a like and a follow subscribe to our channels and follow us on all social media and as always my friends from the bottom of my heart like I always say until next time stay techie my friends